best time to start the show. Outstanding from Jake Weatherall. He comes back for two. The 18th Big Bash 100, but the first in a final. Romanian, Pavel Florin, the bodyguard. You look at him there. You're listening to the Centre Wicket Podcast on 91.3 Sport FM. Here's your host, Ethan Rock. Welcome back to the Centre Wicket Podcast. I'm Ethan Roth and it's nearly the end of the cricket season, but I've got another big guest for you on the phone today. He's played 47 first-class matches with 200s and 750s. He's played plenty of list A cricket, 36 matches in fact, with 250s and 55 T20s, scoring 550s and a top score of 92 not out. He's a fairly accomplished and experienced cricketer, both with the gloves and bat in hand. Tim Ludman, welcome and thanks for coming on. Cheers, thanks for having me. So you are a Warrnambool local from, orig- from Victoria originally. What was your childhood like over there and how did you discover or first start to get into cricket? Um, yeah, probably um, I grew up sort of a, in a farming district, um, probably about half an hour out of Warrnambool. And um, yeah, I suppose it was either footy or cricket growing up. So that was sort of the only options we had. But um, yeah, I got into cricket. I actually got a set of wicket-keeping gloves and pads off Santa Claus when I was probably or seven or eight or nine, around that age, I suppose. Yeah, nice. yeah took it up from there, and, and that's sort of what, what grew the flame, I guess, for, for cricket to be my number one. But, um, yeah, obviously enjoy playing it. And um, we lived right next to a footy ground and cricket ground, so always had the nets and the oval there to use at, uh, at my leisure. So, um, yeah, it made, made it a lot easier for me growing up, I suppose. So you always wanted to be a wicketkeeper? Wiki yeah, yeah, definitely. I, um, I filled in for my brother's... Uh, or he was captain of the Colts team, so I think it was under sixteen or seventeen back then when I was about ten or eleven. And um, yeah, no one else wanted to keep, and I was the littlest. And that's normally the role that the littlest gets is the keeper. So I, I took that on and, and loved it, and, and obviously had the gear from Santa. And yeah, I just I just love being in the game all the time. So um, to to do that was was more fun than standing in the field for me, and, and I really enjoyed the challenge. Yeah, exactly right. And you represented your home state before switching over to South Australia in 2009. And the move quickly paid off playing six Sheffield Shield games and three one-day cup fixtures, I believe. Uh, looking back now, you must be so glad you made that decision setting up the rest of your career. Yeah, it was it was a tough move. Um, you know, it was hard enough for me probably leaving the country and moving to Melbourne to start with. Um, I moved down there for university and then um, yeah, cup played a few second eleven games with Victoria and, and did okay, and then the opportunity presented itself to move to South Australia to I suppose chase the dream. Um, and as a wicketkeeper, you have to take those those opportunities when they present. So to um, to move over there, and, and then yeah, Graham Manu got called up um, to play for Australia, so I was his backup. Um, and then 
yeah, got a game and, and managed to do okay and, and forged out a, a bit of a career over there in South Australia and really enjoyed my time. It's a, it's a beautiful place and good people and, and managed to play with some pretty cool players as well. So um, that all helps on the journey. Yeah, nice. And to your success in the BBL where you sat second on the strikers run scorers list, talk to me about scoring that 92 not out against the Stars and hitting 50 off just 18 balls, which was the fastest half century in the league's history at the time. And also your relationship with uh, Craig Simmons at the top. Yeah, it's a good question. It's um, obviously um, enjoyed my time with the strikers. It's really fun, and Adelaide really jumped in behind um, behind the Adelaide strikers when it was first formed. So the crowds there are amazing, and obviously a beautiful ground. So it was a pleasure to play there for for as long as I did. But um, yeah, the '92 was one of those nights that um, I suppose I've never really believed in the saying you seem like beach balls or or watermelons or whatever people say, because I think that's just a figure of speech. It's never that easy. But um, that night it was it was as close as you get to that, I suppose. It was just one of those things where you, everything clicked and everything come together at the right time. And wherever I thought the bowler was going to bowl it, they'd bowl it there. So I was sort of ready to, to hit it where I wanted to. So um, that particular night, it, it paid off. But um, as we know, cricket's a tough game and it doesn't always go that way. So you got to you got to ride your luck and, and cash in when you get those opportunities. Um, and then obviously batting with... With Craig Simmons, the uh, the WA man, who um, I see on uh, my cricket, he took some wickets on the weekend, I believe. Um, yeah, so he's still playing. I think he's playing at Rockingham, which is yeah, yeah. south of Perth. Yeah, right. We we called him the big ship, but um, he's a, he's a good he's a good man. He was good fun to bat with, and you know, we being left right hand combination and um, two pretty aggressive players. It was it was bloody good fun, and yeah, he he's a ripper and uh, a good mate of mine. Yeah, I was devastated when he left the Scorchers because um, I remember he scored a couple of hundreds in BBL 03 off 30 balls. I think the first one was against the Strikers. So, yeah, uh, and it, it must have been tough to swallow that you had so much success at the Strikers during your time there without any silverware um, and losing consecutive semifinals after finishing on top of the ladder. Yeah, it's it's tough, but it's, it's um, I suppose with the final structures, the way it was set up, it's obviously changed now. It was... It's quite tough in 2020 cricket because one player can have a night out and no matter how good your season's been, if, if one player has a night out, which one of those semis, I, I remember Usman Khawaj made 100 and he was probably, you know, he was seeing them as close to beach balls as you can that night. He was just hitting them everywhere. And if one player has a night out, then um, it can just rip the game apart and, and then you're no chance in 2020 cricket. So, um, yeah, disappointing, but um, unfortunately, we just got probably unlucky by by a couple of good individual performances on the night. So I think the final structure now that it's changed is a lot better, um, and probably rewards yeah. the, the the team finishing on top. Yeah, absolutely. And you stepped it up a notch, scoring two shield tons and a magnificent 167 in South Africa when they toured here in 2016. Your name was sort of thrown up as a potential option for Australia in the World Cup, but did you feel established as a cricketer by this point? Even though you probably don't think of this at the time, um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, when you're when you're making runs, I suppose, and keeping well, you always feel like you're not far away because obviously, you're, when you're playing state cricket or, or domestic cricket, you're um, you know the next steps. Obviously, where you want to be is is Australia and what you always dream and strive for. So um, you got to believe that you're you're a chance, but obviously, performance means everything. So nice to be talked about, but I don't think I was ever really really too close. Um, too close to getting that gig. Yeah, yeah. Nice to get a little, some mentions. Um, and in BBL 07, you were picked up by the Renegades. 
how did this sort of come about? We shocked it all by the exit. Um, how did your role change and did it hurt seeing the strikers go on to win it all that season? Um, oh, it doesn't hurt. You know, you know, obviously some good people there who I played with, so it was nice to see them do well and have the ultimate success. But um, I was probably disappointed with the way it ended with the strikers. It ended pretty quickly, but, um, you know, they had some good young players um, up and coming. So um, that, that was their decision. And, um, yeah, the Renegades offered me a lifeline, I guess, and, and I jumped at that, obviously, being from Victoria to get home to your home state, I live, I moved back at that stage and, and live in Geelong now. So um, to be just down the road and then play off the Renegades was awesome fun. And, and under Andrew McDonald, who's a good friend of mine, um, was um, was quite good fun too because he's probably one of the best coaches in Australian cricket at the moment, if not world cricket. Yeah, definitely. And although you weren't part of the 11, the BBLO 8 final win must stick out for you, especially in how it all ended. And was to hang up the gloves your choice or were you told you wouldn't be no longer required? Um, yeah, it was good to be involved, obviously, early on in that um, campaign. I played a few games, so although I didn't play in the in the final, I felt like I contributed, which is always nice. Um, I think across a BBL season, um, the squad, you're only as good as your squad in, in any cricket, probably, really. You, you need good depth and strong depth to, to be a good side. So, um, yeah, to be a part of that was, was a good fun and a good journey. Um yeah, I, I think um, I was probably probably done. I'd probably lost the. I wasn't playing state cricket, so I think it's hard when you when you're not playing state cricket to keep up with the pace of of uh, domestic cricket. Um, so yeah, I was probably probably done. I'd probably had enough to be honest. I wasn't uh, maybe dedicating myself or committing as much as I should have been. Um, so I knew the time was time was right to uh, yeah to move on. Although I would love to keep playing. Um, yeah, that's that's the decision that was made. Yeah, and I noticed early days you used to wear like a baseball type mask when behind the stumps to spinners or even medium pace bowlers when they wanted the keeper behind the stumps. But um, what was the reason behind exactly wearing that? Um, I suppose one of my um, good friends and, and life and wicket keeping mentors, Darren Berry, used to wear one. Um, so okay. I sort of, he, um, he gave me one of his um, when I was a young fella and I sort of started using it. I felt they're a lot more comfier to wear than um, than a helmet. Obviously, the face mask sits closer to your face, so I feel like you got better vision. Um, and then if if you had a high ball go up in the air, you could just whip it off like a baseball uh, backstop does. You could whip it off and catch the high ball a lot easier. Where if you're wearing a helmet, it's wobbling around and and bouncing around. It's a lot harder. So obviously, the rules have changed. You're not allowed to wear the baseball mask anymore. You have to wear a helmet. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed wearing the base mask. I felt it made a lot more sense than a helmet for a wicketkeeper. Yeah, and I think a lot more players would maybe consider that if it was still allowed. But um, since your professional days, one of your passions has been coaching. Uh, how did your time at Geelong go? And as someone who knows a lot about keeping and batting, who do you think should uh, keep for Australia, predominantly in all forms? Because I know you're a fan of Josh Inglis. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, in Geelong, I played when I moved over here to play for Renegades. I played with Geelong Career Club, so I had three seasons there. And my last season, I coached them. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's a very Premier Cricket in Melbourne's very professional and um, very thorough and great depth across the board. Um, all teams have have many good players, so um, it's always a good challenge. And I really enjoyed my time with Geelong. Um, but yeah, ultimately the commitment probably became a bit too much uh, with with a young family and and working and things like that. So priorities changed. But um, yeah, I think from a keeping point of view across the country, we're, we're very blessed at the moment. I think you look around every state, we've got some some really good glovemen. 
Um, obviously, Tim Payne is the best keeper in the country. I know he's copped a bit of flack lately, but he's um, he's comfortably um, streets apart of anyone else. Um, Alex Carey will, will get the next chance, I think. I think he's the anointed one, um, and and probably rightly so. He's he's made some runs and, and keeping nicely, but I, I think the yeah that. The dark horse or the smoky, I think he's definitely Josh Inglis. Um, I really rate him. I think he's a a pure gloveman, and obviously he's churning out some runs now in in both Shield and, and T Twenty cricket. And um, you know he's going to be nipping at Alex Carey's heels. So um, you know if if Carey slips up, I think he'll be ready to take the opportunity. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, one thing you're known for also is your impersonations. You probably get asked this all the time, but um. When did you start practicing these? And is, is there any chance I could get, you could hear something, perhaps Richie, Tony Gregg, David Attenborough, or even the Muffin Man? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's one of the things um, that's probably I'm probably I probably became more famous for my impersonations in my cricket, which is probably not a good sign. But anyway, I'll, I'll take it. Um, you know, obviously people getting mic'd up on the on the Big Bash and and all that sort of stuff. I tried to probably show another side of me and another side to a normal player, I suppose, that rather than cliche, I'd do some impersonations, which I'd worked on since I was quite young. I was I probably started them when I was probably a similar age to when I got my keeping gloves, I suppose. I was probably eight or nine. I used to, wow. I used to love commentating the footy. I'd mute the TV and commentate the footy for my mum and dad, and, and that's probably how it started. So I started trying to do like Dennis Cometti and, and Bruce McAvaney and those sort of guys, and then it just evolved into a few other voices that I felt like I could do them okay. Um, obviously, not amazing at it, but I but I like to like to have a go at it every now and again. Um, I could probably give you a Richie if if you'd like to hear that one. Yeah, happy to. Yes, and welcome back to the WA ground for the first time today. A short time ago, we caught up with Tony Gregg for the pitch condition. Down to you, Tony. Yes, thank you very much, Richie. The pitch is quite good out here. That's unreal. That's yeah, that's top quality. Very, very impressive. I think you'd uh, give Elliot Loney a run for his money if you know who that is. He does all the tennis impression uh, impersonations. But yeah, very good. Uh, you also co-host a podcast called Keeping It Real, where you interview and chat to some sporting names. Um, I listened a bit earlier today, but who are some of the biggest names you've had on, and how can people sort of find you? Yeah, it's um, called Keeping It Real with Chuck Ludy and the Big Fella. So it's just something that happened during the start of COVID. Um, Darren Berry, my, my mentor I talked about before, um, is on there. Obviously a former Victorian wicketkeeper and uh, a captain. Um, and then Matty Stewart, the Big Fella we call him. He's uh, He works for racing.com. Um, so he sort of does local radio and MC work and stuff like that. So we've all sort of um, done a bit of media stuff, I guess. And we just thought, you know, with our network of friends that we have, why not start a podcast and get a few people, uh, a few people on there that might be able to tell some interesting stories and and probably not the standard stuff that you hear day to day. You know, on SEN and Three AW and all these other sports broadcasts that are pretty straight down the line, serious sort of stuff. We tried to try to bring out that other side of the player. You know, it's the funny stuff that happens that you don't hear about or or the different memories they have over the journey that, you know, sometimes don't get disclosed um, in other interviews. Um, so we've had some pretty pretty cool guests. We've had um, Nathan Lyon, Shane Warne, Paddy Dangerfield, Tim Payne, uh, Jonathan Brown, Billy Brownless. Um, so we've had, we've, we've had quite a few. We've done about 24 episodes now, I think. So, um, yeah, jump on there. Merv Hughes is on there. We've... Um, Wayne Phillips, yeah, we've had some pretty cool guests, and they've all been really funny. So, 
Um, if any of your listeners need a laugh, um, jump on there and have a listen. It's probably worth their while. Yeah, absolutely. Go check them out, guys. And as you said, those are some uh, very good guests. Um, do you also love your fishing? You just have to look at your Instagram to know that. But how often do you get out for a fish? Um, as often as I can. Um, yeah, I, I do love it. It's a, it's a hobby of mine, I suppose, now that I, I haven't played cricket this season. So um, it's, it's allowed me to fish a bit more. So, um, yeah, I'll try and get out for even if it's just an hour or two every weekend. I'll try and sneak a little fish in. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's just a, a nice way to, to spend your day and have a, have a relax and unwind. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one question that's sort of just come to mind, I've seen you've taken a lot of good catches in the big bash especially, but is there one sort of catch that stands out, even a stumping as a keeper? Who the um, best? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you always yeah, you always strive to, to, to change a game with your glove work um, and um, set yourself apart from the rest, I guess. But one that probably stands out, um, or two that probably stand out to me is probably a couple of leg side stumpings I got in shield cricket. Um, I got one off Dan Christian, sort of with a reverse swinging ball, stumped Joe Burns down the leg side. Um, and then one off Chatty Sayers, which got a bit of airtime um, on social media. Um, I stumped Jason Flores down the leg side off Chatty Sayers um, at the Adelaide Oval. That was um, probably two that stand out to me. Um, I feel like stumpings are always harder than catches. Um, Catches are easy to train for, but stumpings you can train and train and train, but every situation is pretty different. So, um, yeah, they, they were probably the two. Yeah, I did see those. But in saying that, you, I, I saw a blinder off Kyron Pollard for the strikers. That was that was good. So, you, uh, yeah, you've t- definitely taken some good catches along the way. Uh, we'll go to the Q&As now, so make sure to send in your questions at Center Square Podcast on the socials. This first one comes from Squeak Dog 7 What's it like being a member of the tripod? <laughs> the tripod, as in the bald guy off tripod, is that him? I'm not sure. Yeah, I've got no idea what that hasn't hasn't given much much context yeah, there. No, I'm not sure. I think if it's tripod, the the comedians or singers, whatever they are, I think there's a bald guy in that. So I assume he might be going down that path. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably. Uh, this one comes from Sinbad Manad. Uh, what is your greatest achievement in your sporting career? Um, oh, that's a good question. If you had to pick one. Um, I suppose it's always the success you have. So apart from debuting and, and fulfilling a dream, I suppose, um, first-class debut, but they had the BBL title with the Renegades. No, sound, sounds about right. Uh, this one's from Mitch Reid. He simply goes, Angus Boyd or Mitch Reid? <laughs> uh, as a bowler, I'd go Boyd. As a batter, I would go Mitch Reid. What about as a bloke? Good question. Jeez, hard to, hard hard to split, split him. him. I'd probably rather have a beer with Mitch and rather have a feed with Gus. There you go. Uh, this one comes from BM Fishfile. When are you taking me fishing? <laughs> oh, well, sing out and we'll try and get it sorted. Uh, next one from Dash underscore Wee Bush, I think it is. Uh, who was the quickest you kept to? I think I know who you're going to say here, but I'll let you go for um, it. Probably two that stand out. One is obviously Sean Tate, who I kept a fair bit to. Um, with South yeah. Australia, and the other one's Derek Nannis. I kept a bit to him um, in Victorian days, and 
Um, yeah, they were both very fast and both swung it, which made it even tougher at that pace. Yeah, you wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be wanting to fa- face them. Uh, and last one here is from Chris Webber. Tell us about the best fish you've caught. Best fish I've caught. Um, I caught a, a I got a PB earlier in the year for a snapper. I got a ten kilo snapper, which went about ninety seven centimeters, and it was right on ten kilos. So that was that was pretty good fun. That's probably my number one fish, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, really appreciate your time this evening, uh, Luke. So I'll let you guys. It's getting late over there in the east. But um, thanks again for coming on. Hope you enjoyed it. And best of luck with your work, the podcast, the fishing, and everything else in between. No drums at all. Thanks for having me. As I said before, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Center Square Podcast on the socials. And we look forward to your company again next time.